we read for a lot of different reasons. Some of us read to research, some of us read to escape, others just read to debate. Yeah, those people are around. Some are looking for inspiration, and yet others are just looking to learn more about themselves and about God. But it's important for us to understand why we're reading and what we're reading, right? Because if you're, you're trying to get a good historical perspective on something, you're probably not going to turn to poetic, you know, literature to find historical accuracy, right? It may have some implications there, but you're primarily not going to find that information there. If you're looking to escape, you're probably not going to read an opinion that is poor, right? Because they are designed by nature to be inflammatory, to challenge whatever status quo, and to begin a debate. You know, or if we're looking um, to to be inspired, you're probably not going to crack open a reference book or an ancient languages, right? You know, so you've got to understand why you're reading what you're researching, and the Bible is a collection of books. There are four major sections in the Old Testament. There are four major sections in the New Testament. Today, I want to help you understand those major sections. The first one in the Old Testament is this, the Pentateuch. Now, I know that sounds like a very religious word because it is. All right, the Pentateuch means five, and it's the first five books of the Old Testament. This is what is called the Torah by the Jewish people, and this is the book of the law, right? This is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so it's the first five books of the Bible, and the overriding theme for the entire Pentateuch is the beginnings of God's relationship with the world, the people of Israel, worship, and redemption. So it's the origins of all of these things. So when you're reading these first five books of the Bible, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see that God desires a relationship with humanity. That's a major theme. And you see that God is talking about revealing himself, that, that God, when he created the heavens and the earth, he created humanity to be able to look at him in the face and not have any shame or guilt or disconnect between him or each other. There's a place of complete harmony and peace and, and, and uh, without any lacking in morals. So it was a pure and a holy and a beautiful relationship. Right? And God desired this for all of creation, for all the world. He wanted all the world to have a relationship with him. And then we find out that people don't always want that relationship. We rebel, we reject. And so, you know, God begins this other stuff. He chooses people to initiate a covenant to show what it would be like for God to repair a broken relationship, to choose people simply because he loved them, and invite everyone else into that relationship. And then we see in, like, the book of Exodus and, and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, this whole idea of worship being developed, what it meant to be devoted to God, to connect with God, to, to trust in God for every aspect of our life. And then, of course, redemption is a major theme. The whole book of Exodus is an analogy of how God pulls people out of the captivity of sin and sets them free to live in grace in relationship with Him. These are the major themes of the first five books in the Bible. So as you're reading, it's all about the origins. You're getting the beginning point of God's relationship with humanity, how God is going to redeem broken humanity, how God wants us to worship Him and to connect with Him, and how God began to covenant people. We see this in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. If I can try to pick one verse, you can imagine how hard this was. Because it's one verse that kind of captures the list of five books of the Bible. This is the best I came up with, right? But God is much better at this than I am. But just to give you an idea, Genesis 17, 7 is kind of that point. It says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. Okay, so this is God's people. And after you, from generation to generation, 
this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God, and the God of your descendants after you. This is God's promise. I desire a covenant, a promise that only the peace that only I can break. And I desire to be your God and to be the God of your descendants and to be the God of all generations. And so this is God's promise. So that's the first piece. The second section in the Old Testament is called the historical books, right? And so that's going to be books like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, and it's basically the early history of the nation of Israel. So if you were to summarize the next grouping of books that are in the Old Testament, you're going to get the account of Israel's possession of the promised land. So God brings Israel out of the Exodus, which is a symbolism of pulling out of the sin and, and slavery of sin, and offers them this promise of peace and prosperity in relationship with him. And so there's this physical land that's tied to this spiritual promise, and there's some analogy that they live with. And so when you get into these, this grouping of books, it's talking about Israel walking in this promise. Only stepping out of their rebellion and, and, and after four years of wandering around aimlessly trying to decide if they were going to embrace God's promise, they stepped into the promise of to begin to live in faithful relationship with Him. And so, this is what it's about. It's about them living in this promise that God has, and then also the struggle to remain faithful to God and follow His leadership. Right? Because we all know that anybody who sets out to be faithful in a relationship with God, anyone else, is going to require some work out of you. It's going to require some effort. You're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to say yes to some things. You're going to have to get beyond what you feel like and what you don't feel like for a relationship to work. And this group of books tells us the history of Israel, how it came about, and how nations developed and arise and fall. But within that, they give us the spiritual understanding called the Judges cycle, right? So when you read the book of Judges, this kind of summarizes everything that happens within the historical book. You're going to see this pattern over and over and over again. You're going to see God's people living in unity, enjoying the relationship with Him. And then you're going to see God's people get tempted by idolatry to worship something else that they're going to away from God. Something else is going to capture their affection and their attention. They turn away from God. And then they're going to find themselves in a place where they didn't belong or want to be in consequences stand. So they, they sin and rebel against God. Now they experience the consequences of that rebellion. And then from there they go to calling out to God, saying, God, help me. We, we don't want to live here. This idea of repentance. And then God sends a deliverer. He raises up a judge, and this judge delivers people out of that bondage, out of those consequences, back into the new God. This is the theme of the entire historical book. And we see this again in a passage of Scripture in the book of Judges, chapter 2, just to summarize this whole section of books. And it says, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Again, out of spiritual slavery, out of physical slavery. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they went down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. So they, they said, God, you don't want to. You, you, you know, so they essentially pick a fight and rebel against God. They provoke his anger. 
And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to their plunders. Now, this is saying what it says, but God says, listen, you want to rebel against me? You have a choice, and I'll let you do it. And so he lets them rebel, and so he gives them over to people that ultimately plunder them and great, create great harm for their people and their country as a whole. And he says, I'll give you over to those plunders who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of this remaining enemy so that they could not no longer withstand the enemy. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were terribly distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. But whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies in all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted their custom. Whenever the judge died, they came back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods. Serving them and bringing them to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stories. What's interesting here is we see again God's history of redemption in the historical books God providing the deliverer. So in the first set of books, God delivers people out of the land of sin, seen in, in the, the picture of Exodus. In this case, God sends a judge, and instead of condemning them, what does the judge do? Delivers them to Christian Jesus. So again, we see that this is a major theme: the struggle of following God in faithfulness, uh, sinning, repenting, and being restored by the deliverer is the major theme of the historical books. The next grouping is the wisdom and poetry books. Right? And so these are the books like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Songs. And um, these are all considered wisdom and poetry books. And the whole uh, theme of that is a personal look at the joys, comforts, struggles, and pains of connecting with God in everyday life. So, this is what's beautiful. We get to read somebody's spiritual journey. We get to pop up in the pages and see what it felt like and what it was like to, to know the satisfaction of walking with God. To know that we were in the center of God's heart and to feel God's blessing. And we also know what it's like to stay connected with God and to struggle with God and to, to experience a disconnect. You have everything from birth to death listed within this as people responded to find God's presence in the midst of their stuff. You read the Psalm of Solomon and you get a beautiful picture of what marriage can look like, and you also get a beautiful picture of how messy and ugly it can be. But what's most important, you can see how God redeems that out of brokenness and brings people into a beautiful union that reflects the union he has with them. The book of Psalms always starts off with a complaint, but then I remember God, and then I have hope in You can almost pray every psalm that you read, every song, these are the first worship songs, and you get all the Oh, I think God's awesome, I can trust him. The book of Proverbs, but I mean, if I look back on it, it wasn't stupid, and it was you know, you know, not the brightest train in the box. If I would trust Jesus, I would be much better off. If I would live by his wisdom and the wisdom of the wisdom of the world, that's the book of, of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is a beautiful book. 
you're talking about how real looks like and feel, it's hard to find deep meaning, and it comes back and says, in everyday life, I can find meaning, even in the mundane. It's a great, applicable, tangible, narrative book that we can dig in and see God and meet people in every possible experience of life. And Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 kind of catches the heart of this section of book in the Old Testament. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, God, I'm thirsting for you like I'm thirsting for water. As if I'm being hunted down or if I'm looking to be refreshed, God, I can find it. I'm looking for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Words to my soul before God. And it's an incredible, incredible set of the next grouping are the prophets, right? And you have two major sections of prophets. You have major prophets and minor prophets. Major prophets are going to be like Jeremiah, Isaiah, the reason they're called Ezekiel is another one of those. The reason they're called major prophets is not because they're like the cool prophets, you know, the first thing, and then they also got second thing. It's not like they're called major prophets for the amount of information they have, the amount of revelation of what God is going to do. And so, if the book is long, if you're reading with like uh, 30 chapters or so, you're reading a major prophet. If it's got four chapters, you're reading a major prophet. But prophets are messengers, plain and simple. And the whole thing that characterizes all of these books and these guys are really weird names is that they're messengers God used to call people out of rebellion and back into relationship with Him. So, here's what we need to see. The historical books talk about God's act of delivery. The prophets line up with the history and they become the spiritual pastor of what it's like to spiritually hear. So, God initiates the restoration of people to reunite them with Him. And the prophets are talking about what that experience is going to feel like and look like in their everyday life. How are you going to move from brokenness? Back in the peace. How do you move from the bay and back into being satisfied with God? It brings all of these truths out. So their message really reflected four points. Every prophet that you read is going to have these four points in the book without faith. The first one that they're going to talk about is they're going to remind people who God is or what. So they're going to look back and remember God's character. He's loving, he's kind, he's all powerful, he's all knowing, he's ever present. Things that belong exclusively to God that are going to remind people about the person of God. And then they're going to look at how God used his character to bless them with peace. Remember when God did this? Remember when you wandered around in the wilderness and God delivered you? Remember when God, you know, pulled you out of slavery and you did? Remember when God did this? Remember God's faithfulness? Remember how God blessed you? Remember how God encouraged you? Remember how God walked with you? Remember how God provided for you when you didn't have a way? So we're going to remind them of God's character, we're going to recall God's faithfulness, and then we're going to reveal God's promise to you. We do. So this is what Christ comes in. They come back in and say, in your struggle, there's always going to be a prophecy about who the Messiah is going to be. And most of these prophecies are made 800 to 1,000 years before Jesus actually walked in. And they're telling us that he's going to send a judge, a deliverer, if you will, who's going to end this cycle. That's going to cover your sins, that's going to transform your heart, that's not just following its rules. And so it's always this promise that God will redeem you. And then he calls for the return to trust God. Trust God. So he talks about God's character, God's past faithfulness, God's promises, and says, in light of all of that, came back to God. 
That's the message of every prophet. So you don't just understand all the history of why this group is being oppressed by the Babylonians or the Assyrians. You can know all that history, but you will still get something out of the prophet by understanding that the prophets are talking about the spiritual kingdom part that needs to happen in humanity as God understands his people. To summarize, this Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, yet even then, declares the Lord, you turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. It's like, don't show all your sins in the case, and let your heart break. Return to the Lord your God, right? Why? Because He's gracious, and He's merciful, and He's slow to anger, and He's abounding in steadfast love, and He lives over disasters. So He's coming up like, Character and God's nature and God's promise to redeem. And that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the first of the four sections are the Gospels, right? These are the first four books of the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are eyewitnesses' accounts of the impact of Jesus' life, ministry, and message. These are people that, that lived when Jesus lived, that walked with Jesus, heard him teach, saw him do miracles. These were eyewitness accounts of the person, life, and message of Jesus. And they recorded these accounts so that we would know the heart of God. And the main theme of these books and the main message is that I am God in the flesh. I am the promised deliverer in the Old Testament. I am here to redeem. So what you heard about in principle in the Old Testament, you see in person in the New. We see this in John chapter 20, verse 31. It says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have love for him. He wants to give you life, new life. Such a section in the New Testament is the book of Acts, right? It's one book with its own section. This is history, right? So the equivalent of historical books in the Old Testament. This is the historical book of the New Testament, where it talks about the beginning of the church. And so the theme of the book of Acts is the advancement of the message of Jesus in the beginning of Christianity. So this is where we find out how we go from this Messiah that shows up in Jesus' culture to what we're experiencing in our day and age called Christianity. Some things directly connect. Some things we got to start at home wondering what we're doing. Some of it we've taken creative license. Some of it we're relating to what we want. But it's the birth of God's community. And it's how his message went from Jesus and 12 and the disciples to the nations and eventually to our homes for 2,000 years running. And it's interesting that in the book of Acts, it says that people that were, that were following the message of Jesus so much, they were given a derogatory term called Christians because they so reflected the life of Christ. It's the real little Christ. So they see you, they see Jesus. And the disciples were first called Christians in a derogatory manner in the city of Antioch. The whole message of the book of Acts is about 
taking that message to all people. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the other year. So God is going to take this moment on the cross and resurrection of Jesus and flood the world with his message through us, Christians, the church. And this is a book for us. The next section in the New Testament are the letters to the churches in Ephesus, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I mean, when you hear the first and second tier, and then it was written by him, and it was the people as well, and the Christians, and letters to Timothy and Titus, even pastors of the churches. And so, in this whole section of the New Testament, that are letters to the churches and pastors, and the main theme is what Christian faithfulness looks like in the midst of philosophical and social issues. What does it look like to be faithful in the world around you, in a world that has competing ideas, in a world that has very real challenges to the social conflict? How are you to respond? What does it look like to follow God and to honor Him and to be an example for all to see? That's the theme of every one of those books. It always addresses a, a philosophical question, a theological disconnect, or a cultural question, or a distinction between God's character and what the world says is an acceptable character, and how to live faithfully in that poster as an example and as a true question. That's the heart of each and every one of these books, and so they're very practical, they're very relevant. They talk about issues of wrestling with the balance of grace and works. You know, am I trying to earn God's approval, or am I resting in the fact that I'm already approved by God before I serve Him faithfully? You know, it, it helps us understand what, what sexual ethics can look like in, in the beauty of marriage and in how it's a picture of a relationship with God and how that can help us avoid so many pitfalls in our relationship. And there's so many practical and meaningful things and real challenges that everyday people face. And how they came to the other side of finding truth and faithfulness in their life. Philippians 2 15 talks about this. That God wants us to be blameless and innocent children of God, but that's blameless in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. God is primarily, first and foremost, concerned with your personal character as it relates to God, not the world's character. He did not give you the personal message of being the moral police of all the nations. He gave you the permission to connect with him and to start to reflect his character and then allow them to speak into the world and the culture and the relationship around you. It's a very different way. You're not presenting yourself as the authority or as a person running together. You're presenting yourself as the person who's being redeemed and being born by the Creator and inviting other people to follow you as you follow Jesus. It's a very different message. But that's the heart of the letters to the churches and pastors. And then one last question is this. The Revelation. One book, and it talks about the revealing or the promised return of Jesus and grace and our eternity with Him in heaven. 
This is where we begin to see that God promises to finish all of these things. He's going to redeem all people, all nations. That one day God is going to give a new heaven and a new earth. That God is going to restore ultimate good on the earth, wipe away evil and pain and suffering and injustice. God's going to put an end to it. And he's given everybody this season and this love to come to him to receive that grace and allow that grace to transform our hearts so that we can transform the world with that beauty. And God says that we are living that same season, but God will ultimately make that be the parting mark of all eternity. And we see this in the book of Revelation. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and you will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Remember the Old Testament, right? See God bringing the book in. See God being relentless in pursuing that relationship. Then he goes on and he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 3. So this runs up the major sections of the Bible. Collectively, you put all 66 books together, there's one collective message, and then God's redemption. God's the desire to restore humanity's character and to satisfy their lust. The whole story of the Bible is that God created us to perfectly reflect His character. Man wants his own version of right and wrong, rebels against God, sins against God, does what's right in their own eyes, rejects that relationship of God. God, instead of condemning humanity and judging humanity harshly, He allows them to feel the weight of that disconnect, but sends His Son, Jesus, to be the deliverer, to restore them, to offer a way out. And Jesus calls us out of rebellion, out of sin, into a renewing relationship with God. And God says, I'm not just going to ask you to follow me. I'm going to dwell within you by the Spirit and restore that broken image that you desire to be. What he's saying is it's all these little glimpses of things that you turn to to try to find love, to try to find hope, to try to find meaning and purpose in life are ultimately found in me, and I'm going to bring those about and change your heart and restore that purpose so that the world can see the beauty of who you were supposed to be in relationship with me. And he offers that to every person that walks on the face of the earth, no matter where they are, what they've done, where they've been, by grace. He says, listen, I give it to you as a free gift. I'm just asking for you to trust me and let this To let me be real. To come back into a right relationship with me. This is on every page of the scripture, every book of the Bible. It is a collective message of every prophet. It is the message of every judge. It is the message of every disciple. It is what defines church history. It's what defines the letters written to us in the churches and the pastors that lead us. And it's ultimately what God is trying to bring about in the book of Revelation. This is the message of the Bible. We see this in one closing state of similar to the Bible. Look, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. 
He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior because His grace has made, He has made us right in His sight and given us confidence that we will take eternal life. When we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus pays the penalty for the consequences of our sins, the spiritual consequences of our sins, and he, he brings us out of death into life. So, when we get to experience brokenness, and God gives us his character through the person of Jesus as he dwells with us by his spirit. Why do you this way? That God made Jesus to minister, to be still on every heart, to become the sympathetic, that we might be the righteousness of God. In other words, all of the sin in the body of our life, all the cross gets attached to Jesus, and none of the character and perfection of God's character gets transferred to us, and He is restored, and the Spirit helps us adjust to what God sees us to do. And as we follow Him, we experience the beauty of God, the rescue of God, the redemption of God, and we fill the world with God's beautiful image. This is the message of the Bible. See, the Bible is not written in the book. All of this information is so true, and all of these incredible. It really is a living document. And as Isaiah tells us, only the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the year. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I have my purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I have taken. See, God's word, the God speaks to us a purpose in mind. And just as the rain falls and brings up life, God's word falls and brings up life. It's not like a living It's an incredible message that answers the deepest longings. The biggest questions that everything is about. And when we enter into the relationship that God invites us into, we will experience that message. We don't just read about it, we live it. So, my question is to you Would you? Categorize your relationship with God, mainly more just information, you know things about God? Or would you say, I know God personally, and when, when I read about the Spirit being in me, I don't even know what that's like. I felt that I hear Him talk to me. I know what that feels like. I feel His strength when I need it. I feel His peace when I need comfort. doesn't mean that you don't struggle, but you know that it's not just that you struggle, that there's God. You know that. 
if you don't, if you feel like your relationship is all you just knowledge about God, then it's not really real. The Bible says that the way that you cross the information is in reality is by faith. And faith is simply this in God, and it's just in you to be in your life. And just do what you say to be in your life. I'm going to accept my own thoughts or my own way to be in your life. I'm free from that to come to you. That's it. The Bible says that the thanks that is all you have is the answer you want. You're saved. What does that mean? Saved from a broken, empty, defunded life and to be spiritual and to be alive again. You are right to be saved from a broken, empty, defunded life. This is the gift of Christianity. This is the purpose of the Bible. This morning, I would just encourage you to place your faith in you if you'd like to say, Lord, I really need to help you. I know I need to be redeemed. 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 